welcome to the Flex Success Podcast, where we teach you how to be less shit. Covering all things science relating to nutrition, training, recovery, and more. Who knows, we might even sprinkle in a dick joke or two. <laughs> wow, another podcast already. Here we go. Yeah, I feel like we do lots of them, although people only know that we're doing them once a week. Is this a bad time to need to sneeze? No. <sighs> Hold it in. Uh, I'm with my co-host, as usual, Dean McKillop, and industry good guy, Scotty Goble. Welcome. Industry good guy? I've never, ever been introduced like that before, but... Uh, Thank you very much. I'm honoured to be here. I hold both of you in very high esteem. So it's uh, an honour, yes, to, to be interviewed or be a guest on your podcast. I'm unsure how exactly to introduce you because you're a podcast host, a bodybuilder, a coach, a PT. You also do live seminars. Um, so how, how should I define you, Scotty? How can I introduce you? Fitness industry do anything, man. I don't, I, I don't know. Like I, I am all of those things and I enjoy all of those things and I don't want to let any of those things go, but uh, there, there are only so many hours in the day and sometimes we have to focus on the most important tasks or maybe the tasks that will help support the family and pay the mortgage and things like that at times. But um, yeah, I'm all those things and I, and I love the fact that I am. Great. Love it. Makes you hard to define, but that's okay. Mm. Um, I understand you have let go of bodybuilding with your midlife man episode oh look I've, I've let go of the competitive bodybuilding altogether there's and there's no question in my mind that there's not a comeback in the future uh i still love my training but yeah competitive bodybuilding is a thing of the past i'm well into my 40s now i'm 44 so it's not like i was going to physically see any great progression and i also felt that psychologically i wasn't really going to progress with bodybuilding either it, it taught me a lot and I'm really, really grateful for all, all it taught me. But I feel like I learned all those lessons and I was just sort of repeating myself, just getting back up on stage. Yeah. So, yeah, I've tried to move on and challenge myself in other ways. And Midlife Man has certainly been a challenge in the short time I've done it, trying to learn Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Uh, not going that well at the moment. And obviously with the quarantines and things like that, there's no rolling around on the mats with uh, other men in close proximity. So, uh, yeah, so always trying to challenge myself. I think that's what I learned through bodybuilding. It's the accomplishment is one thing, but the challenge is where it's really at. So I'll uh, try and remain slightly out of my comfort zone for the rest of my life. If I can. Love it. Um, Nothing, nothing really compares to bodybuilding. No, like I play competitive team sports and like I've been involved in other team sports on the coaching side of things and all the rest of it. And like every other sport, if we're going to stick with this, we pick up bodybuilding all the time on here. And I always inverted combat sport and I never know what to call it. But that's a debate for another time. But anyway, yeah. for now, for this point again, um, even as a high-end rugby league competitor, soccer player, doesn't matter. You have the opportunity to make small mistakes and have a fairly comfortable social life. You just have to train very hard for the most part. While yep. you're in at the training session. Yeah. yeah. But bodybuilding has no, it's relentless for an extended period of time. And if you make mistakes, it costs you far more in regards to the end result. Uh, it's starvation. It's fucked. It's just like, <laughs> well, it's exactly like it. two sports, isn't there? There's like the sport of actually lifting for hypertrophy. Mm-hmm. And then you have to engage in the hunger Olympics when you're not training. <laughs> <laughs> it's a well said the hunger olympics yeah it is absolutely that and look I, look i agree there's nothing like bodybuilding 
I, I don't know if it is a sport either. It's kind of an anti-sport in many ways. What you do on stage in no way reflects what you do in the gym. Um, what you do in the gym is sort of move things in very inefficient ways rather than trying to find the most efficient way to do it. it, it it's very unusual in that regard. Uh, but the discipline that it gives you, it might be unlike anything else. And that's, that's the real reward of bodybuilding. And I think that the people outside looking in can never appreciate that because they just can't fathom what it takes to get on stage for body fat with as much muscle as possible. So uh, those of us within the inner circle understand. Yeah, it's, it's, and it's a weird inner circle too. (laughs) It's a very weird inner circle. Yeah. But look, I didn't get into it for the right reasons. I got into it probably as a, you know, an insecure teenager that's trying to find his place and all that sort of stuff. So I think it's, you know, we, we look at all the narcissists and things like that, which we might be surrounded with, but you know, at the highest level, you, you find that most people aren't like that. You know, it's maybe the lower level coming up, but when you speak to the best guys and a lot of the pros, most of them are, are pretty well balanced individuals. And it, yeah, I don't know. It, for me, it's very humbling. I train at Doherty's gym, so it's quite a humbling place to train. I'm, I'm surrounded by pros and uh, of all all sports, but but bodybuilding in particular. And you can't get too ahead of yourself or, or think you're too good uh, when you're training there. Some outsiders looking in might think fucking meatheads, like, mm. I don't know, dumb, kind of emotionally shallow, not a lot going on outside of lifting, maybe like rude or abrupt. But when you actually get to know these big walnut people, can I call them walnuts? Yeah. That's the compliment. Um, you realise actually, no, some of them love to read economics and philosophy and they've got children and other hobbies and interests and they're like deep, interesting people. They're normal humans. They're just normal humans. They just happen to be walnuts. <laughs> it is true. It is. It's true, it is outside yeah. the physical norm. Yeah. And therefore people don't feel like they can um, relate to you. Yeah. Which is probably the case if you see someone that's, you know, tattooed head to toe or has, you know, a hundred piercings or something like that. Maybe someone like myself might look at them and go, oh, they're a little odd. But if you actually sit and have a conversation with them, they'll turn out to be really interesting people with families and jobs and, you know, interesting lives as well. So, yeah, we can't all be categorized by our physical appearance. Um, If you did, you know, we'd be written off all the time. Yeah, no, it's certainly a good lesson because there's even, there was a fellow that used to train at our World Gym Ashmore. The Arakan guy? Yeah, and but that was going to be my punchline. Oh, sorry. Just there, but no, my bad. No, nah, he's <laughs> tattooed head to toe. His face is fully tattooed. And you look at him, you're like, damn, he's badass. And then he just says hello. And you're like, oh, he seems really nice. And then you find out that he's actually one of like uh, the Gold Coast's most well-known Arakan guys. And he's all about like sort of finding your zen and just being super chill. And he was so nice to Liz. And you're like, oh, I judged a book. Whoops. Yeah, well, you know, yeah. there's some dudes that have invisible lat syndrome and they're just like walking through the gym like, get the fuck out of my way. You can just tell by their body language. This guy's not like that at all. He's mm. just like, oh, after you, like really sweet, but a tattooed face. Yeah. So you just, you can't Yeah, tell. I think the invisible lat syndrome guys, probably they are masking insecurities. You know, they're trying to project an image that they don't even have. But, you know, if Josh Lenardois can walk around with his arms by his side, then... You know, like that's he knows he doesn't have to flare his lats. It's it's yeah. obvious the man's got lats. So I saw him get his pro card. It was what Arnold's two thousand and well, it wasn't even Arnold's, and it was FitX. Was it? It was well, yeah, yeah, it was it was FitX uh, because he would have seen me up there getting my dream shattered at the, the exact same <laughs> moment. Um, what was that? Two thousand and fourteen, I think. I think it was fourteen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would have been yeah, two thousand and fourteen. It was yeah. 
I read your competition diary from 2014 this morning, getting ready for this podcast. It was, uh, you were, I don't know if you remember writing it because it was so many years ago. No. (laughs) Yeah. I don't. Um, Actually, unless there's another Scott Goebel bodybuilder, because I tried to, you know, to get ready for the podcast, Google everything I could, Scott Goebel. And there's a, what is he? I think he's a philosopher called J. Scott Goebel. And I was like, is this Scotty Goebel writing this scientific literature on like this comparative ethnography? I was like, I don't think so. I think that's another Scott Goebel. So yes, I'm pretty sure it was the bodybuilder Scott Goebel, you who I'm speaking to, Bodybuilding Diary. You were talking about um, how you felt the day leading up to the show and the day of the show and sort of the pressure that you felt to have a smooth show and to perform well because you had, you know, your girlfriend, I don't know if it's... Yeah, yeah, now my wife, yeah. Yeah, it was her first experience with the bodybuilding show and she was watching you on stage at the first time oh crushing um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> what do you and who do i come up against like a future top 10 olympia guy sympathy <laughs> marriage is that what we're going guys <laughs> is it an extended sympathy marriage? <laughs> but I, I really liked the diary because you were really honest with sort of like the nerves and so how much stuff there is to do people think oh, i slap on some tan and just kind of flex but there's so much more to it yeah, a lot goes into it. And I had high expectations for that show. I fully expected to win that show, to be honest. Um, Josh Lenardowitz at that time was not Josh Lenardowitz. He was just some big guy from Durham at gym that came in a little bit smooth. Uh, so, yeah, I, I planned on beating him. And uh, I still like to let people know that I got one first place vote off him. So I, I think uh, that that means I'll probably be about 12th or 13th in the Olympia. Thereabouts. <laughs> Right. If you continued on that natural progression of growth, yeah. for sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You would have maybe even got 12th just based on presentation. So long as you can count the placings on your fingers and toes, you're doing good. Yeah, very true. <laughs> yeah, that is an unfortunate. I remember seeing him for the very first time at um, Cronulla Leagues Club and he came out wearing a mask, right? Uh, it yeah. was he was wearing... Um, coronavirus No, mask? no, it was one of... I think it was one of the was old it, presidents. Uh, was it an Arnold... Oh, it wasn't an Arnold Terminator mask? No, no, no. He, I think he, oh, maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm misremembering, but it was back in the old IFB elite days and, man, they were, like, pissed at him for wearing a mask. I'm like, have some fun. But he was massive and everyone's like, fuck off. The dude's huge. Like, who cares? What's he masking? Yeah. Jaw muscles? What's the big deal? Well, it's just, it was just theatrical. Yeah, but yeah. I'm saying, like, what's their problem? It yeah. doesn't matter. It's not hiding anything that they're marking. It's true. but um, That's funny. Mate, we haven't actually asked you who you are just for the people. Oh, know. sorry. We, yeah. no- we normally start off by saying, like, who are you? What do you do? And why do you do it? So you want to give everybody a bit of a rundown on who Scotty Goble is. And then um, we're going we're gonna to jump into the evolution of prep coach, I think, after that. Hang on, quickly. Has anyone ever told you you look like Joe Rogan? No, not Joe Rogan. No. Okay. I get, oh. get Vin Diesel all the time. Oh, yeah. I see that. I had the biggest crush on him when I was a teenager. So. It's not a bad person to look like. No, it's <laughs> Before just... Before I realised that it's Basically, anyone with some muscle and a shaved head gets compared to Vin Diesel. <laughs> so it's not really that great of an honour. But um, So who am I? I uh, am a bodybuilding tragic, I guess you could say. Uh, oh. Bodybuilding has, has dictated my life. From, from when I was 14, I started weight training and I decided I wanted to learn as much about it as I possibly could. So that dictated my educational pathway. I went on and studied exercise science um, and graduated from that and then started working in the fitness industry. So uh, I was always doing something. I was selling gym equipment, working in gyms, uh, working in GNCs, managing GNC stores, sales repping on the road. And the entire time I was training myself, I I didn't actually compete until I was 28. So it took me 14 years of weight training to actually get on stage. Uh, But when I did, I tasted some success and I think I felt the 
actual physical and psychological progression that I was making by testing myself in this way. And I went on to keep competing over 11 years in total. Um, took out some good titles, took out some Mr. Australia titles and competed overseas a few times and had a ball doing it and sort of fell into training. I tried to train people early on in my life, in my twenties, uh, when personal training wasn't such a big deal. And I thought, I thought it was the direction I should go, but I just hated it. I just couldn't deal with, uh, people that didn't have my same level of motivation and drive and I couldn't understand them and they just frustrated me endlessly. So I, it was not something that I could do. So I, there's probably three or four times in my life that I've tried to become a trainer and failed um, or just given up. Uh, and then eventually I had established enough of a name in the industry that the people that I started to attract or the people that started to inquire with me were actually serious people. And then I found I could train them. They didn't annoy me so much. Um, and, and since I've stopped competing, I've softened a great deal. And now I recognize the psychological challenge that's involved in getting people that aren't as motivated and aren't as driven as me to actually be able to see through uh, their goals and, and actually move forward in a positive direction without giving up. So uh, I have just evolved, I guess, uh, in terms of my, my business now is primarily coaching bodybuilders, but I do work with a few everyday people as well. And I very much enjoy those everyday people. I must admit they're probably more serious than your average sort of fat loss client. But um, yeah, that's, that's a little bit about me. Uh, a lot of what I do is in person at Doherty's gym. A lot of what I do is online. And then I do a smattering of other things in between. Uh, like the Midlife Man Project and some seminars and some other things like that. I own a supplement store as well. So I keep keep nice and busy in the industry. You want to give that store a quick plug? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's S&A Supplements down in Mooney Ponds. Yes, we are still open. Cool. <laughs> yeah, I was so, uh, talking to Rory the other day and he said he saw you. I was like, oh, man, I forgot that you even had that store. Like, Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I forget. That game for so long, you know? Yeah. Hmm. So um, I actually watched the Midlife Man episodes. You've got three up at the moment. Yes. yes. And you just before were talking about, um, you know, people that previously frustrated you and yet you now start to understand and like help motivate them. And you're, you started jujitsu. I'm understanding through before you tore your groin and like warming up in the first week or something. Correct. Yes. Um, and, and you were saying in, I think it was the first episode or maybe the second that it was quite terrifying to you because you don't want to look silly. You don't want to hurt yourself you know, none of it's familiar. And I guess that's the way people feel when they start bodybuilding or they just like start healthy behaviors for the first time because everyone in the gym has done it for ages. They know what they're doing. They have their little clicks and then you walk in there, the new person, and you don't have all that stuff. And it is scary. You don't want to look silly. You don't want to hurt yourself. So I thought that was really cool that you put yourself in their shoes like that. Yeah, look, I knew nothing. I'd never been a, in a Brazilian jiu-jitsu gym before and I was walking in there to meet a black belt who was an ex-UFC fighter who just said, don't worry about it, mate, just come down and roll. And I was at, just absolutely terrified. Like I'd never been terrified before, <laughs> like, like to the point where I just didn't want to do it. I just didn't want to do it. I just thought of many possible ways to escape that situation. I don't have to be here. Why am I making myself do this? And I can totally understand that someone who's never walked into a gym before would feel the exact same way, especially especially a, a really intimidating gym like Adulties or something like that. It would be really hard to walk in there, um, and and most of it was just 
looking stupid. I think that was the big thing because I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have a gi. I don't know how to wear a gi. I, I didn't know that you walk in and you take your shoes off straight away because you don't walk on the mats with shoes on. And, you know, you, you don't want to be told off for walking on the mats with shoes on because, you know, you don't know. You don't know. Um, so it was, it was intimidating. And I think that's, it's good because I wanted to be able to empathize with people that want to get into weight training for the first time, especially men of my age group, uh, that maybe haven't exercised for 20 years that are looking to improve themselves and, uh, get in the gym for the first time. It's, it's good for me because I can sort of see it from their perspective now. Yeah, that's awesome. How are you going with your jujitsu at the moment? No good, no good. Yeah, because of the injury. Um, <laughs> look, I, I mean, I tore my groin pretty good. Like it was a grade three adductor longus tear, um, so uh, it's taken a fair bit of rehab to get it back up to strength and length. Uh, so I won't tear it anymore. And and obviously the BJJ. Uh, studios are all closed down now, so I'm just doing some little solo drills and mobility work and things like that, uh, and trying to prevent myself from getting injured again. So I, I haven't progressed very far. Maybe the gyms can open back up if you do 69 BJJ rolls. You know, it's like true. it's like it's the Corona <laughs> instead roll. of face to face. It's a Corona roll only. <laughs> Have you seen the Corona Sutra? There's a picture going around on the Corona Sutra. How to keep your faces <laughs> away from each other while you're doing. <laughs> oh. That's brutal. That took me by surprise, that comment. Yeah. Um, that, in the BJJ world, we call that the north-south position. So okay, I'm so renaming you know. it the 69 BJJ yeah. role. Equally appropriate. Yeah. Um, if there's anything two men want to know is that they're in the 69 jiu-jitsu role. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll keep referring to it as north-south, I think. I'm almost certain that, that would make more men feel comfortable to now also go to jiu-jitsu, knowing that they're going to the 69 oh. position oh, that's so with the black belt. <laughs> Because we all know who's going to be on top. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I wanted to quote you from episode two because I found this so hilarious. I'm going to be 60 when my daughter's 18. And if I'm not going to be a hulking 120 kilo intimidating presence, I'd like to know I can kill a young man with my bare hands. <laughs> so <laughs> there's your goal for continuing BJJ inspiration. I think natural fatherly instincts. Yeah. Now, and then my other daughter, I'm going to be 62 when she's 18. So... Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna get some skills. You'll be able to double hand them. That's you know, right. They're, they're close enough within age, you know. It's not yeah. like you've waited ten years and you're gonna be seventy for one and sixty for the other, you know. True. You just gotta have some some bark. My dad, he he's an older dad too. He's nearly eighty now, and I'm thirty, so probably the same age difference between your daughters and you. Uh, this guy called Mario came over to take me on a date, and he knocked on the door like a good date does, and my dad opened it. And just kind of like straight away he said, if you hurt my daughter, there's not a hole big enough you can hide in. And I was like, that's really going for the jugular. What about like, hey, how are you? He's actually yeah. not a protective father at all, but he just like, he, he just pretended like he was. He just so, enjoyed the moment. Like, and, Well, you know what? I don't have a lot in common with my dad, thankfully, but we both love awkwardness. So yeah. my dad just like sat there and just, you know, whiffed up all the awkward fumes. And I love doing that too. Really? So He would have... Felt the poor Maybe kid's that's all tremble. it was. So if you can just have some good one-liners to scare the shit out of some people, if this injury doesn't go away, that may be all you need. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't mind a bit of awkwardness myself, so I'll let him sit there and sweat in an uncomfortable silence and I'll enjoy that moment. <laughs> you know it is, you wear jeans and like wear like essentially high heels underneath it. Don't actually wear high heels because if you see your toes, you'll know you're lying. 
But um, like just get even more height out of you and just tower off this door and just stand there and just look down at them. They wouldn't know. You just can't move though, otherwise you'll fall over. You'll lose lose all of that power. But uh, little will they know that it's the wife that they really should fear. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 We're the 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 Middle Eastern descent that that sort of Arabic uh, hostility. It's just supp- suppressed just below the surface. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. yeah. My, my, it's yeah, bubbling my away hard. under there. <laughs> oh, it's hardly under. So we, we, <laughs> yeah. we joke, right? Liz's mum is Venezuelan, her dad is Lebanese. Mm. So oh, wow, what someone's a like, oh, you're feisty. We're like, yeah, she's half Lebanese. <laughs> if they're like, oh, you're really pretty. Like, yeah, mum's Venezuelan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think also, the South Americans have a bit of bit of fire, don't they? Oh, of course. Yes. Yeah. yeah very mouthy. Mm-hmm. Can I, can I just blame my genetics on my mouthiness? <laughs> I can't yeah. help it. It's my genetics. Well, I blame my, my I blame my genetics on my laid backness. Okay, you can do that. Yeah. Or my yes. or my uh, emotional shallowness, as you <laughs> put it. Um, We're in the industry. We blame everything on genetics. So. It's true. <laughs> true. The G word. Mm. Unless someone says, "Wow, you look great. You must have great genetics," and you're like, "It's not my." That's genetics. offensive. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Only when appropriate. So tell us, Scotty, where do we want to see the midlife man go? What's the, the goal? Uh, look, hopefully we can just empower lots of middle-aged men to do something of a physical nature and just improve their health, both physical and mental health. That's it. That's cool. it. That's exactly what we want to do. We're not doing it very well at the moment by getting injured, but um, hopefully we can provide them with some of the basic skills to get into the gym. Obviously that's where our real expertise lies. And that's what you're going to start to see from episode four is just some basic instructional stuff. And, and I do think weight training is possibly the safest and most beneficial thing that middle-aged men can do uh, if done correctly. And I think uh, there's plenty of evidence out there that it will improve both their physical and mental health. And it's just a, I feel like a population that is largely neglected and sort of victimized to a degree these days. So that's, that's what we want to offer, a little uh, platform for men to learn about how to get started and uh, improve their lives. Yeah, cool. It's really cool. It seems to be quite good, uh, especially down uh, Victoria. Well, at least this is probably a bias because I've got a friend down in Victoria who's even been involved with footy clubs. And they do some similar sort of uh, setups where they're getting young and middle-aged men into footy clubs to become active in and their social. midlife and social and have the ability to have conversations and all the rest of it because it isn't something that's typically spoken about, especially in the footy world. But they, so from what you've told me anyways, don't they sit around and share their experiences with each other and that's part of the training, like the, the connection? It's not just running around on the field. In that particular instance, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's cool. I liked that um, Luke was – that there was two points he brought up. He was like, what we want to do is help you get started and stay consistent. And there's not these rules around it has to be five times a week or it has to be an eight out of 10 intensity. It's just, just get started, be consistent. Absolutely. That's the hardest thing when you're starting out. And it's been the hardest thing for us as well, getting into our new endeavors was getting started. It it is daunting, very, very daunting getting started. So I think, yeah, if you, if you set the expectations or the demands on on someone who's getting into fitness too high, then they're going to be put off. Uh, So yeah, just doing something is a lot better than doing nothing. And then if you can do that little something consistently, it builds over time and the momentum grows and you start to see the benefits. So yeah, absolutely. That's, that's step one, get started. Step two, get a little consistency. It's funny how relevant that is now when um, all the bodybuilders don't have access to their regular gym. They might be sitting around doing fuck all. 
So, yeah, I had, a, I, I had a few very serious clients when it first happened. I was like, try and get something. Try and get something you can use at home. And they're like, nah, man, I, I can't. I'm not going to be bothered. Like, if I can't go all out, I'm not going to do anything. And now they've all scrounged up some equipment. Like, yeah. because they've realized. And, and, and now the, a lot of them are really, really enjoying their home sessions. So, yeah, well, there's a lot of time saved. That's for certain. Yeah, well, yeah. We're, we only live 15 minutes from the gym, but that's half an hour a day that we save just in the car. Plus the conversations. Yeah, all the chats between sets, that's true. <laughs> Work those jaw yep. sets. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing for training at the moment? Uh, I don't have an elaborate setup by any means. I've got some adjustable dumbbells. I've got a little suspension training system and I've got some bands. And that's what I use to train. And uh, so far, my sessions have been great. I, I really enjoy them. Uh, it's different. I have to get creative. But that's a nice new challenge in and of itself, using my brain while I train. Uh, rather than just going in and relying on having absolutely everything at my disposal. So, yeah, yeah that's that's what I'm doing. And then I've got my little little mats there as well, which I try and do my mobility work on, trying not to get injured. <laughs> you said that you studied ex-phys, right? Or yeah, it, it, te te technically it was a Bachelor of uh, Science in Human Movement, but it okay. was essentially exercise physiology, yeah. That's your degree, right? Exactly the same. Yeah. I was going to say, I laugh. Like uh, what I've found is that the, the individuals that go down the exercise science route versus the exercise phys. So like in Queensland, you had the opportunity to, to separate in, in the fourth year by whether or not you did your prac in a typical strength and conditioning setting or if you like spread yourself out to things like musculoskeletal rehab and cardiac and all that kind of stuff, right? <clears throat> Everyone that went down the exercise science, just down the S&C stuff, are the people that don't want to train gen pop traditionally yeah they get into yeah. the gyms and they're like this is not what the fuck i thought i was going to be doing uh yeah. i lasted six weeks scotty in as a personal trainer that was, yeah, that was my effort <laughs> then i gave up and went nah not for me uh yeah. for the ex-phys people by default of wanting to look after special population typically like or... those those individuals so yeah, yeah it was the same same route but... um but the reason that i i was trying to clarify is because through that degree you understand the principles of hypertrophy so with the equipment that you have, just like some resistance bands, body weight, what else did you say? You had some suspension? Dumbbells up to 24 kilos and a suspension trainer, yeah. Right. So enough for your pinky. So but you still understand the principles of, you know, mechanical tension, proximity to failure, you know, volume. You know all of yeah. that stuff. So regardless of the equipment that you have, you just apply those principles and it's Bob's your uncle. Exactly. Yeah, exactly right. Like I don't actually know if we went over the um, – the principles of hypertrophy back in 1995, but um, it, I've got a good sort of foundation of knowledge there. Yeah. From uh, back in the uni days. And, and you're exactly right. Like it's, I don't know if you get creative, there's a lot you can do. Like if you ever done a, you know, a pistol squat, probably most bodybuilders haven't done a pistol squat, but you yeah. can do a band assisted pistol squat or you could do a suspension trainer assisted pistol squat. And before you know it, like you're crippled. I, I thought, I thought my leg workouts would be absolutely horrendous. My first couple of leg workouts, I was in that much pain the following days because I was just doing so much time under tension work and so much unilateral work. And it was just hitting me in ways I hadn't been hit in a long time. So yeah. um, with that equipment alone, I can, I can get incredibly sore hamstrings. It, it's, it's quite amazing. Mm. I'm having like three same day doms that last for about three days from my home workouts. We just have resistance bands. Oh, we've got like a, um, a barbell that goes up to a hundred kilos, but it's yeah. this really awkward bar. You can't do much with. Mm. So yeah, but, but same as here. We're, we're just doing what we can and being surprisingly sore from it. <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of okay. Taking a bit of a break from it and getting a little bit more uh, aerobically fit and 
sort of prepping myself physically to be more uh, effective in my training when I get back to it. That's something both and builders be, neglect. Because I'm a hobby builder, you mm-hmm. know, I, I don't mind going backwards for a, a moment in time because it's not really, like my life is not defined by body by bodybuilding. So I would hate to be in that position. That would be a scary position to be in. Yeah, look, yeah, I feel bad for some of my high level competitors, which are trying to push, push always to the next level. You know, Christian Caldwell's just turned pro. He's 40 years old. He's trying to do his best to make his pro debut next year. I feel bad for those guys. Uh, but uh, I'm in the same boat as you, Dean. I, I don't really care if I, there's some physical regression. Um, at 44, that physical regression might be permanent, but uh, it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Like it's not, it's not what I'm about anymore. Yeah, but um, one of the major reasons we got you on, Scott, is because I was interested to sort of uh, get a bird's eye view on how the evolution of the prep coaches changed. Because you started out quite some time ago and are still doing it effectively now, and also it's your primary uh, mode of income. So you obviously mm-hmm. do it well. Uh, um, when, when did you start as a prep coach? It probably in 2008, I started prepping people, which I, again, I'd only done one show. So I was that guy. Um, and I was, I, I literally was that guy because I was completely and utterly clueless. And I, I would say I was, I thought prepping myself would be the greatest possible education as to how to become a good prep coach because I would learn the cues. I would see the signs. I would be able to feel it, uh, interpret it, you know, objectively measure it. I'd, I'd be able to do absolutely everything. And that, that would enable me to coach other people. But what I learned since I stopped competing is that that's probably the worst way to learn how to be a prep coach because all you do is learn how you respond physically and probably more importantly, psychologically. Like I, I've got a body which is designed to take uh, an enormous amount of stress and I've got the mindset that I'll push on regardless. So I would just completely run myself into the ground to get in great condition. That was, that was my approach. It was old school. I would starve. I would do cardio or do whatever. I don't really lose muscle easily. Um, and I'm just willing to suffer. So it's a very dumb approach. Like I, like if, if I knew now what I knew then I would have probably been a much better bodybuilder, but I, I found something that I thought worked. Um, and then I just applied that to all my clients. And if they didn't survive, like if they couldn't handle it, I just, oh, you don't have it. You don't, psychologically, you don't have what it takes to be a good bodybuilder. Um, and and look, it, it brought me some success. I, I prepped some people that look great because they could handle it and they had a similar ability to tolerate incredible workloads and stress like I did. But the vast majority just sort of got spat out and left by the wayside. And it, it probably wasn't, it was probably out of necessity that I had to learn how to be a much better prep coach because it was becoming my primary source of income. And if I wasn't getting better at it, um, my income wasn't going to get that great. So yeah, I, I just had to learn and I, I don't know what it was, but since I stepped away uh, from bodybuilding in 2015, I would say uh, I just keep learning and learning more every single year and uh hopefully the prep coach that i am in 2020 makes the prep coach of 2015 look like a complete idiot and i'm hoping in 2025 i make my current self look like a complete idiot as well because by no means do i know everything by no means have i mastered everyone uh that i prep so it's it, it, look, it's fascinating to me and it's my new passion. You know, my passion used to be getting myself in shape and, and competing. And now my new passion is finding out how other people tick physically and psychologically. Hmm. Mm. There's definitely some truth to what you're saying though in, um, you know, if you can't, 
battle through this suffering, then you don't have what it takes to be a bodybuilder. Um, because it sucks. It like you do have to endure suffering. And even if you weren't going about it in the best way and you were kind of eliciting more suffering than was necessary, which is what I, I think you're, you're saying, um, there's always a level of suffering that you have to deal with, even if you do it the easiest or the best way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there is. Uh, it's inevitable, yeah. But it, and it's sometimes how you articulate that to someone that's new to the sport, which is the key to getting them to buy in. And I, and I think that's a lot of the lesson I'm learning is how to communicate with them and explain what's coming and get them ready for it and and just coax them through it. Whereas I guess when I was competing, I just had no sympathy for them. It was just like you think you're doing it tough. I was doing it 10 times tougher than you. Like you're still fat, you know, like that, that would be my approach. And whereas now I'm like, yeah, no, I totally understand what you're going through and this is what's coming for you next. And this is what we have to do. And this is why it's happening and it's completely normal and you are fine and it's okay to struggle with it. And if you're about to cheat on your diet, you just let me know and we'll get you through it. And you know, like I'm a much more empathetic character than I used to be. And I don't know if that's because my testosterone levels are far lower than they used to be, or if I've just matured as I've had children or, or what it is. But um, yeah, it's, it, yeah, it, it is a struggle. There, there's no way to do it. That's not a struggle, but there's a way to articulate and, and talk people through it and let them know that what they're doing is a necessary part of it. Um, whereas, yeah, I, I don't think I did that in the past. Yeah. Do you, if, do you think that the management of the stress of prep, uh, for you as a coach is coming now back more to the psychology and more to the conversations or are you also using things like nutritional interventions and training variation and stuff like that to manage that too? Yeah, I'm definitely getting better at the physical aspect of it, the, the training variables, the nutrition variables, the drug variables, all of that sort of stuff. Uh, but I would say my real evolution and growth has been in the psychological aspect of it. I, I Whereas in the past, if I had someone that wasn't adherent to a food plan, I would just be like, whatever, I give up. <laughs> like, you know, like, I can't help you. Sorry. And now I'm trying to figure out how can I get this person to be adherent? Because you will, you come across some people which are incredibly gifted and maybe even incredibly hardworking in the gym, but just will not follow a diet. Um, if you can take that person and get them to follow a diet, even if you're taking them from 70% compliance to 95% compliance, you can have a champion on your hands and, and you can chip away at it. I've had people that over the years have gotten better at dieting. Um, to the point where now they're hundred percent adherent over, it might've taken three or four contest preps to get them there, but you can, you can work on that sort of stuff. So that's, that's probably where my greatest evolution has been, but I'm certainly learning about controlling the other variables, the nutritional interventions and the, the training protocols and cardio and everything else as well. Well, they all, they all kind of intertwine. Obviously the more we manage the physical, the more it's easier for, for us to manage the psychological but um, I say this to my clients whenever they come on board with myself. If I've seen a client come from a suffering approach and they got really, really lean, it's a big tick for me because it kind of tells oh. you have the capacity to hang on, right? Yes. And then it's like, oh, if we, just, if we manipulate the variables so that it's a better physical environment, this is going to be a, a huge win. Yeah. Uh, but one thing that I, I, I struggle with is the individual that comes from a, an otherwise suffering moment and then they say, I did everything I possibly could have, I just don't get lean. Well, no. Again, the issue here is compliance. Now, there's a double problem here. Potentially, the, the situation you're put in was negative, but then also you obviously haven't managed it very well too, and now you're also lying about it. So the psychology of that person is far more difficult to manage than the other people. 
Absolutely. Look, if you get someone who's done it the old school way um, and just starved their way into condition and managed to do it, that's you're going to make it the easiest prep they've ever done by comparison. It's not going to be easy by any means, but by comparison, it will be easier. Um, so yeah, I, I love those people as well because I've had a few of those come on board over the years and it's just like, oh my God, I can't believe how easy this is. Mm. And you're just like, yeah. I'm not a contest prep coach. I, I take on another genre of client, but you can never tell what well, I have found in my experience what a good client is going to be because we have initial consult calls with people to get to know their goals. What are your hurdles? What are you worried about? What are you looking forward to? And some people say, I'm willing to do anything. I'll give up whatever you need me to give up. I'll like, I'll sacrifice what needs to be sacrificed. I was like, Oh, your goal is to lose four kilos and to get to 17% body fat. Like you don't need to sacrifice everything. It's fine. (laughs) Like we got this. And then, you know, we start coaching and three weeks in there's like, Hey, you still haven't followed the first instruction. Like what's going, you know? And then there's those people that are kind of worried. Oh, I feel like my motivation's lacking. I'm not sure if I've got what it takes. And they're like, Hey, you know, we'll ease you into it. And they do so well. So sometimes you can't tell by people's intentions. Sometimes there's this huge gap between their intentions and their actions. Mm -hmm. Um, It would be so great to know that from the beginning because then they could help guide your coaching. Because if somebody's saying they're willing to do everything, you might have a harsher plan uh, that you give to them because they say they want this by a shorter date or they're Mm -hmm. willing. Or you might give them an easier plan because uh, they're not really sure about it. And your coaching could just be aligned if their intentions aligned with their actions. Mm. It's tough though, because sometimes the facade is an indicator of uh, them not actually being willing to do that. Like I fucking despise the comment. I'm willing to do, I'll go 110%. Like I hate that comment. Why? Because one semantics, it's not possible. (laughs) I knew you would go there. Yeah. And two, like I don't need a hundred. I need 95. Like, Mm. And, if, and like, man, I would say that I was, I pretty much nailed 99% of my preps, but I'm still not a fucking idiot to say that I nailed it a hundred. Mm. Uh, and I would never say that because it's it also a hundred would mean that you could never improve it. Right. So like, I, I just think the mentality that's associated with the person that traditionally says I'll do 110%. It means that they'll do 110 for about five days and then two days they'll just not talk to you and they'll do 90% (laughs) and their average is less than the person who's just willing to do most of the majority. To give you an idea of uh, how compliant Dean was to his prep, I don't know how it started, but he got this intense chest infection and he was like, he was gurgling. Have you ever heard the death rattles? Someone on their deathbed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Dean sounded like he had, because I've heard them too. I was like, I've heard this noise. And then they died like an hour later. Um, <laughs> and the home doctor like couldn't, wouldn't come to us because they're like, no, you need to go to the emergency right now. Um, and so I sacrificed my sleep for nobody, but I sacrificed it one night for this guy. Um, and he, I ended up leaving the hospital at 3am because I had volunteering work the next day and the doctor said he was fine. He's all good. And so I was like, cool, catch a cab home or an Uber. Cause we don't live in the seventies. And, um, he walked home cause he had to do his steps. Like he walked home from the hospital after having a chest infection cause he had step targets. And also there so, was yeah. a coffee place on the way home. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a I'll do what it takes attitude right there. Yeah. So I yeah I, I came from the same psychotic school of thought when I was competing as well. I would do stuff. I, I mean I've done too many stupid things to remember. I had uh, appendix surgery the next day. It was the the day after I got discharged from hospital. I went and trained legs. I just <laughs> f- 
found a way to do it. You're not meant to do that with uh, abdominal surgery, but um, I found a way, you know, hack squats, you know, light, controlled, time under tension, superset it with some leg extensions. You can do that. Um, Don't advise it, but, you know, like, and look at that, that sort of mindset serves you well because if you know that you're willing to do extreme things, it it gives you a lot of confidence in your own prep. But uh, yeah, finding that in other people is not that easy. And, and I completely agree. Like uh, people like to stigmatize certain divisions as, you know, like, ah, she's only a bikini chick or something like that. Some of my bikini girls are the staunchest mentally strong competitors I've got. They will not deviate. They are absolutely fantastic. And some of the bodybuilders I've got are just a nightmarish head case that just cannot, you know, stick with anything. So you just, you you can't tell, you can't tell, you can't tell based off their background or anything like that. I've got one guy at the start of his prep, he was going, this is so easy compared to the life I've lived, the homelessness, the, you know, the abuse and all this sort of stuff. This is so easy. Uh, He collapsed in a screaming heap the last four weeks, (laughs) cheating on his diet left, right and center. Um, and, And then you'll have people like me that come from a coddled background, middle class, you know, never had a struggle in their life and are just like, I'll fucking run through a brick wall for this. Like, I don't care. Like, I'll, I'll, if I drop dead on this, you know, next step, so be it. I'm going to get shredded. Ooh. You just don't know. I, man, I think categorically, like, people, like men that compete in untested federations that take drugs to be large, they do that for a reason. Like, there's a reason why you take drugs. You want to be bigger. Mm. And because of that, by virtue of always wanting to be bigger and being willing to take pharmaceutical enhancement, that means you're okay with putting some of your health a little bit to the side for the benefits of a particular look. Much harder to get them in legit condition than it is to get somebody who is either in men's physique, typically, because they're not trying to be massive. In an uh, untested. In an untested. Natural bodybuilders, far easier to get leaner because they only have leanness as a proxy of success. (laughs) Are you saying that you guys can't get big? Well, they can't. <laughs> you know, once, once you're at a yeah, certain size, so you're big. like, the only thing I can do right now to beat my competitor is just get fucking peeled, you know? Yep. Whereas Nick, dude, he's 110 kilos. Like, I don't want to be under 100. Like, that's small. Like, yeah. wow, it's not. So I find the, uh, it's far more difficult to getting them peeled. But bikini competitors, figure competitors, and all the rest of it, they're also trying to, like, run the beauty part. They're also trying to look presentation. They don't want to look gaunt in the face. But so they kind of just tick the boxes because they're not worried about being massive. Hmm. Oh, some of my bikini girls want to get striated glutes and I have to hold it back. <laughs> <laughs> they and really do. Not the category for you, sweetheart. Yeah, yeah, they just love it though. Are there any? Uh, do you do you uh, follow any particular strategies from a nutrition or training point of view? Do you control the whole lot as a prep coach, or do you just do partials? Normally, normally I control everything. There, there are some some people where I give them the training freedom. Uh, because they're just really good at it and, the, and they know what they're doing. And we just discuss a little bit about it. Like we just talk about what they're doing. And I might say, uh, it's probably, you know, I might say four weeks out. Yeah, I'm thinking about drop setting everything and increasing my volume, doing two a days. And I'm like, yeah, maybe not. You know, like they're like, so um, yeah, I, I have a say in what they're doing. But like Christian uh, this year, he, he trains himself. He's a very good, very good trainer and a very good coach himself. So we only just discussed, okay, Christian, you, you need to pull back. Like you need to do a deload. You need to back off a little bit and things, things of that nature. But it was all sort of very vague and he, he took that and understood it really well. So, um, but for 95% of my clients, yeah, I control all the training, all the nutrition. Uh, yeah, pretty much every variable. Um, 
And do I follow any specifics? Yeah, pr- probably not. I, I think I've become more and more open-minded. The more I coach people, the more open I am to suggestions. I, I have some people that prep all the way up to comp uh, on macros. It's a, it's a rarity. It's very much a rarity. The vast majority will shift to a, a food plan entirely just because they find macros makes it harder for them towards the, towards the end of a prep. Uh, I have people that will have one macro day a week and six days of food plan. I have all sorts of things, all sorts of things. I, I've got some people doing keto, Dean. Don't, don't hate me, but the, the only reason uh, they do keto is it's, you give them one grain of rice and they eat a loaf of bread. You know, don't ask me why. There's some psychological trigger there. I hate keto, but it, it, they just cannot control carb portions at all. It's like nut spread. Don't put nut spread in my diet because I'll eat half a jar. Okay, no nut spread. You know, that's fine. And these people, it's like, do not put a carb in my diet. I will lose my mind. There, you can do keto. You're not, it's not the best. It's not the best by any means, but, but it's the best whatever. It might be the best for them. It's unusual, but it might be. Um, to explain what you mean by, um, just for people who aren't sure what you mean by, oh, they do one macro day a week. What you mean by that is they follow a meal plan for six and one day of the week you're like, Hey, eat this much protein, carbs and fats. And they eat whatever foods they feel like just to those macro targets. Yeah. And look, sometimes it's, I'm really vague. Sometimes I'll be like hit a minimum of 180 grams of protein. And I want you to land between 3,500 and 3,700 calories. Cool. Go. That gives them That's enough it. flexibility to cool. eat the stuff they've been craving and not go too wild. Yeah. Yeah. And have you found that this level of flexibility to your coaching has provided better results? For some people, yes. Like so, some people love the regimentation. Some people just want food plan seven days a week, but, but yeah, absolutely. Flexibility allows me to reach other clients and be successful with other clients that wouldn't otherwise respond to that incredible level of regimentation. So yeah, for sure. I, I've got people doing weird and wacky stuff because that's just their lifestyle. I had one lady that was, and, and by no means do I claim this is the right approach, but again, it comes down to getting results and fitting them with their lifestyle and getting that adherence and buy-in. I had one lady that was doing like 1100 calories Monday to Friday and 2200 calories Saturday and Sunday. And it was just because she had a super, super busy, high stress job that she was 10 to 12 hours on call Monday to Friday, and she just didn't have time to eat. She just like kind of resented eating during the week. But then that was probably then she was probably unleashing on the weekend. So you had to actually force her to eat a little bit more to get to eleven hundred calories, and then you had to pull her back to keep it at twenty two hundred calories on the weekend. And it's not great. It's not it's not the best case scenario. But for her circumstances, it was a scenario that got her results, and she could stick to over a long period of time. Um, it's no good giving someone obviously the the best possible scenario but they can only adhere to it for three days uh, mm. because you know lifestyle or whatever constraints interfere with it yeah that's what i was, I was sort of getting as more like your flexibility in your coaching not necessarily to the client but like if you only have one way that you do it you've only got one yeah. client you know one yep. type of client but um a, a quote that i always use from lyle mcdonald is exactly what you just said and that is good advice not followed is shit advice uh mm. and i've always yep. essentially just uh, built my coaching around that concept. Mm, you've got to yeah, they can follow. Ugh. Yeah, I've become way, way more flexible. In, uh, yeah, I just I keep coming up with new possible things. I, I'm co- completely open minded to almost anything now. Ugh. Maybe not the carnival diet, or but um, yeah, I'm pretty open to almost anything. 
and and that's look I try and I try and discuss it with people. I start with the best case scenario, and then we just peel it back and we work backwards from there. And you know what's what is the best case scenario for you? You know what? All right, you're working out on site. You know seven days on, then you're back at home seven days. Okay. What are we going to be able to do? We'll make the most of these seven days at home, but when you're out on site, you've got all these restrictions. We'll just do our best. Mm. And it's, yeah, you, you, you have to be. You have to be open-minded and you have to be flexible. Otherwise, like you said, you've got a very limited client base that you can work with. Mm. Was it Gabby Fondero? No, you fucked it again. I always say her name wrong. Gabby Fondero? Yeah. Um, on the podcast back in episode, I don't even remember, she said, I'm open-minded, but not so open that shit's falling out. Mm. And you were saying I'm open to pretty much anything, maybe not the carnivore. Like shit that doesn't make sense, obviously you're not open to that. Like shit that science can disprove, we're not going to be open to that. But outside of that, we can be open-minded. And I think that when we say open-mindedness, just like using the word holistic, people think that means like we like crystals and I don't know, salt lamps and shit. But like, that's not what we mean. We mean like we know that there's plenty of ways to skin a cat. Yeah, there absolutely are. And there are some things you have to do nutritionally. Like you just have to do them. And I've got my people that just refuse to eat vegetables and things like that. And I just keep repeating why they should eat vegetables and coming up with different ways that they can eat vegetables. And some of them eventually do it and some of them don't, but I probably just beat it into them to the point where they're just like, Oh God damn it. It's going to be easier for me to just blend up some fucking zucchini and carrots and tomato and just pour it on my rice. You know, like just, just something uh, to shut me up. But you know, like, yeah, you, you still, I've probably still got my clients that don't eat their vegetables as well, but you know, like you, you have to, have to be open-minded. Yeah. And, and you have to, and you have to follow some of the nutritional foundations that we all know exist, you know, that you cannot get away with avoiding. I guess that's like trying to avoid the basic principles of hypertrophy and being angry that you're not growing muscle. Like there's things that we all have to do that are universal rules. Um, I've got one client I can think of. Hey, Mick, if you're listening, who um, just grew up eating parsnips and potato. Um, And he just doesn't like vegetables because that was just not part of his day-to-day life growing up as a kid. And now he just hates them. And for a while, he was pinching his nose as as he was eating his asparagus. And I knew that wouldn't last long because when you get people to do stuff that they don't like, give it a week, maybe two. I think he did it for longer than that because he's a legend. But um, we're still struggling with the whole vegetable thing, but continuing to experiment with different ways. Currently on greens powder, which isn't a long-term solution. Yeah, yeah. We're getting there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You have to, you have to find the best way for that particular individual. It's just, that's the case with everything. So yeah, the veggies are sometimes a stumbling block, but most people can wrap their head around it. And most people end up, you know, if they do it, they start to say, you know what? I feel better. I don't know why. I just feel a bit better. And you're like, oh, I wonder. Maybe because you're not getting scurvy anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, just the fact that Scotty's a bodybuilding prep coach and he recommends tomatoes is life-changing. <laughs> it's you pretty know? cool. Not few and far between us individuals that have colours in our diet. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Not just greens. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't, I'm still uncertain where that came from. Mm. I've tried to think about where. I, think I know. Where? Maybe. Hmm. So if we look at the macronutrient makeup of veggies, veggies are a carbohydrate. Some vegetables have equal parts carbs to protein, like green beans, for example. 
Um, but broccoli, which is like the most commonly eating vegetable, has 0.4% carbs, mm-hmm. if I'm remembering correctly, and 4% protein. So we're able to eat a vegetable without the carbs and more protein. So maybe yeah. that's where like the broccoli thing came mm-hmm. from. But-, but I think that that just comes down to a really narrow understanding of nutritional needs because we know that, God damn it, if, if you just got all of your carbs from vegetables, you'll be eating like 10 kilos of veggies a day. And there's 6.6% carbs in a carrot. What's, what's um, uh, capsicum? Anyways, coloured vegetables are a little bit higher in carbs. Not by yeah. a lot, by a few grams, but maybe because people are a little bit carb-phobic. They're like, green vegetables, it's lower in carbs and higher in protein, and like mm. perhaps that's where it came yep. from. But somehow rice I is so. cool. I don't know. Yeah. It, there is some yeah. random ones. Mm. Yeah, it would just come down to the macros. Absolutely. They just, vegetable, all right, I need vegetables. Let's look which is the one that's going to do the least amount of damage from a caloric standpoint because I don't enjoy it. All right, yeah, broccoli. Done. But what are you saving? Like three calories? <laughs> like, yeah, the actual. You, you've worked in a, a protein store long enough, to, you? You know the people that come in and look at the back of the protein powders and find the one that has 0.3 grams of carbs instead of ah, oh, this one's got one point one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and you're using thirty grams, you fucking idiot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Didn't you get abused one time? Oh man, we had a we had this dude who was shopping with me for ages, and um, turned out to be my my PT client. Later. He uh, he was getting a blend. The blend was like eighty percent, you know, protein, four percent carbs, four percent fat, something like that. Yeah. And then he was using it, and he was using it as like sort of a meal, a snack. So it's like, yeah, this is thicker, this is nicer. Like, just drink that. It's fine. It's cheaper. Cool. Mm. And then he asked this open question to one of my old workers. Pete. No, he said, "Is this the best protein?" And he was like, "Well." Best depends. Like if you yes. wanted to compare, he wanted to know if the WPI was better. So if you wanted to compare it, this one is better in protein if you want to look at it as a percentage, but it doesn't mean it's better in application. And he just heard better in protein and went off his fucking nut and like wanted refunds on everything that he purchased for the entire like six months, said that we'd like taken for a ride. Like I'm like, oh, dude, you need to settle the fuck down. Anyway, he came back like three months later and apologized to me because he was an absolute cock on the phone. And yeah, uh, wow. that that call him like over over two percent of protein. Wow! Yeah, did he come in? Was he drinking a boost juice at the time? They're, they're my favorite. <laughs> Probably. They're, they're looking at the protein, yeah, the carbohydrate content oh. of the WPIs while drinking a boost juice or something. Oh man! Because oh, I think from memory, I don't know. You were there. I wasn't. I just remember the story you told me. He asked, "Is this the leanest protein?" And that could mean the lowest in fat, or it mm. could mean the lowest in total calories, or like it could mean various things. Yeah. Yeah, I think you might be right. That was his terminology. And then, yeah, the person tried to explain it all, but yeah, ugh. just got lost in the fact that it had less, uh, had more carbs. Less For carbs. readers that don't quite understand macronutrient needs, Dean would eat 200 grams of protein a day, probably 600 carbs. Am I getting this right? I don't yeah. know. Thereabouts, doesn't matter. Um, so one gram of carbs, <laughs> two grams of carbs, like isn't going to do anything, like no. not going to touch the sides. Eat two grains of rice less mm. if you worry <laughs> exactly scotty do you um do you count vegetables in the diet or are they kind of one of your like free ones or no i count them i count them yeah I count it, really. yeah if you eat it you count it yeah yeah i just i just like that approach because you know I, again I'll, I'll find someone that you know what don't i count oh, do i not count just greens or do i not count the tomatoes and that as well i'm gonna eat a kilo of tomatoes Ooh. you know like i'll have those people so um yeah i've learned to just count and 
account for everything. Mm-hmm. It also means you can figure out how much fiber the person's eating. So exactly, if they're yeah. to the toilet in four days, we can we we know the variables instead of yeah. guessing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, with such varied clients, like you've got obviously some online, some face to face, I believe. Yep. And then you've obviously got people, some people doing keto, some people doing five and two, whatever it may be. Are there any particular like um, data points that you refer to for success each week? Like what sort of stuff do you look at to determine? Well, with, not really winning. yeah, yeah. Look, a lot of what I do is uh, with the online stuff, a lot of the measures I have are just purely visual and scale weight. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what I've got. You know, I, I can't really do calipers. I don't really ask for DEXA scans and things like that. They're interesting. I, I, I quite like it when people get them, uh, but I'm not interested in what the Tanita uh, bioimpedance scales tell me or anything like that because people, people quite often want to send me their scans of their bioelectrical impedance tests and things like that and see what I think. And I don't think that much of them as a general rule. So um, mostly what I do is body weight and visual. And, you know, that's, that's because that's what I've got and that's what I can rely on. And I, I've done it long enough now that I can look at someone and I'm pretty good now saying, you know, how much weight do you think you have to lose? 11 kilos? Yeah, you've got 17. Um, and that's generally generally how it goes. Uh, so, yeah, that, and then I just work back off that. I, I, I look at them to be, and say, I think you've got this much to lose. We've got to allocate this much time to lose it. We need to start yesterday. Yeah. This is for contest prep, right? For contest prep, yeah. And that is that is what a lot of my coaching is. I mean, I do have my lifestyle clients. Um, and again, again, what I use is visual and scale weight. Uh, but a lot more is their perception of what they want to look like is, is the goal. And that's much harder to measure and quantify. Isn't it? Do you have an allowable amount that you do try and sort of drop off per week if that person does have 17 kgs to come off? Well, they got 17 kilo. I tell everyone uh, half a kilo a week. If you're doing any more than half a kilo a week, you're you're already behind. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what I'd say to the 17 week. You got 34 weeks <laughs> to prep. It, it, that is a very awkward laugh, and I, I have the same laugh. I'm like, oh fuck, like you're not going to like this. And if and if it's close, it's like you're really not going to like this first phase. You know, like because you're yeah. putting 17 kilos from 34 weeks into 20 now. So buckle yeah. up, man. Shit's yep. about to go south. Yeah, but I think I mean I as as much as uh, I like objective data, I think photos and scale weight are still probably the two primary things I use too. I think there's too much like validity put in even DEXA scans. Like you said, they're interesting, mm. but they're also like just as subjective to to problems as even what your eye is. So like, use the one you do the most. Do you mean because of hydration yeah. and glycogen? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, people people can freak out about a DEXA scan. I've had people that they're super excited. They look in the mirror and they go, oh, man, I've never looked so good. I can't believe I look like this. And then they'll go get a DEXA scan and they'll call me up. They'll be devastated. You know, it says I'm 8% body fat and I've lost two kilos of muscle. Oh, my God, what's gone wrong? And it's just like, you know, two hours ago, you were wrapped. You couldn't, you know, like throw those arbitrary figures out the window and go look at what you see in the mirror and think about that. Like, don't, well, you're not don't gonna hand mind. your one night stand or the bodybuilding judges your DEXA scan. They don't give a fuck. They just no. care how you look. Um, yeah. But Dean, Dean got a DEXA scan like two weeks out from a couple of shows ago. It was like eight weeks out, and then two weeks out, I lost four and a half kgs of muscle. It was awesome, and like no fat, which clearly wasn't the case. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. I was like, fuck yeah, success. That was great. <laughs> I just spent eighty dollars to get told something that's completely irrelevant. <laughs> 
<laughs> yep. like, if anything, this just sort of validated my opinion of these things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it was under the, the same machine, same software and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Because yeah. I've known people to get DEXA scans on different machine or different uh, clinics or whatever with, that run different software. Different because, yeah. Because, and, but then doesn't that, tell you there's something wrong in the beginning if they've got the athlete uh software and then they got the everyday software shouldn't just the software and the machine just do it like isn't that just they're measuring the same machine human beings yeah. i don't know yeah. why it would change yeah so yeah i, I don't know look that they're interesting and I, and I like it when they come back positive and people are happy with their results on the dexa scan but more often than not people come back upset with their dexa scans from what i can tell so i prefer not to get them done close to a show yeah, and the problem too though, is the positive one generally happens at the front end of any change and then the, the end point is when the negatives start to occur. So you kind of like, you yeah. get the positive and you're like, fuck, this is going to result in a negative later. Like, this yes. is bad. Like, you're like, I almost like, Liz has had this happen before the client, he got a whole bunch of like lean mass gain. I'm like, just tell him that he didn't get it. Like, you're, yeah. better, off, you're better off tearing him down. Too. He was like, Liz, how have I gained so much muscle? Oh my God, can you believe I've lost all this fat? And looking at the math, it didn't add up because he'd only lost like nine kilos on the scales or something like that. But the DEXA was saying that, oh, I don't know. It was, and I could have looked good and gone, oh my God, how cool is my coaching? But I had to yeah, kind yeah. of like cut him down a little and be like, hey, this is yeah. great, but... Yeah, I'm like, think to the future. This dude is definitely going to be disappointed in 12 weeks. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty funny. But um, who's better, Scotty? The, uh, your era or the current era in amateur bodybuilders in Australia? Oh, man, this era by a mile. Are you kidding me? Like, uh, I'd be lucky to be a top six super heavyweight when I was cleaning up back in the day. So, yeah, it's gone leaps and bounds, Australian amateur bodybuilding. There was probably an era prior to mine where it was actually better than mine as well. But um, so I was very lucky to compete in this little dip in, in quality and, and, and claim some titles. But, yeah, nowadays the guys are really good and I, I don't know what to put that down to. I think it is a combination of much better knowledge and much superior coaching but also think it's there's a clear pathway and progression mapped out for people that have high aspirations and want to move on to the pro ranks that wasn't there when i competed like literally the only way i could get a pro card was to win an amateur arnold in america which seemed absolutely impossible or go compete in a drug tested world championship um that that was it uh in in the early days from like 2007 to 2000 and sort of 10 or 11 or thereabouts they they snuck out the odd one they would give condometri would ask for one and you'd get one but there was no but then random people would just be knocked back uh so there was no clear pathway and progression which which there is now and i think that's certainly incentivized the more serious guys to get serious and raise their game so yeah it's uh way better now way better there's actually a little bit of money in bodybuilding now at the top ends and that wasn't always the case so maybe the incentives have changed i mean with with the rise of social media um you can get sponsorships and actually make money from being an instagram bodybuilder Mm. so so i guess there's there's a bit more in the prize pool now too Mm. yeah it's for sure um, yeah, look, it's, uh, I mean, there's money in bodybuilding, not, not the actual competing, <laughs> but, uh, the, but there's plenty of money in, in the bodybuilding industry for sure. And the smart people maybe aren't competing. Maybe they are just building a huge uh, social yeah. media following because they're the ones that are probably really cashing in. But then again, there's a lot of people with a huge social media following, which 
aren't cashing in at all. So you just, yeah, the, the, for smart people uh, and ambitious people, you can definitely make money from bodybuilding. Mm. And um, what's your opinion on the end of your shows, mate? You think they'll uh, be all good? You've got uh, a better well, show, right? Yeah, I got the Bendigo show. I'm sweating on the Bendigo show because it's 18 weeks away. Uh, look, I've spoken to Tony Doherty and I don't think I'll be speaking out of place by um, discussing that conversation. He is uh, pretty gung-ho about putting these shows on if the venues are available. That's completely and utterly out of our control. So um, it's it's possible the venues will not be available, and in which case you can't stage a show. Mm. Um but if the mass gathering laws have changed by then, Tony will put these shows on whether the gyms open up at the start of September, uh, even if the gyms have not opened, but there are venues available for mass gatherings, Tony will put on a show. So for those that are concerned, um, look, we cannot alleviate those concerns by any means, but the intention is still there to stage the shows, assuming these venues are open. And that's the limiting factor. And none of us have lived through a pandemic before. Um, yeah the government's never done this before in this era. So it's, yeah, we, we don't know, um, but the intent is there. Okay. Yeah. I, um, I, I want to pose a, an option. Mm-hmm. I think like if, an if online bodybuilding, no, fuck no. <laughs> WBF. No. Fu- I'm not even kidding you. They're fucking doing an online one. Really? That's problematic. Yeah. They're special, but they are. I can't but what would they also allow booty implants overseas. So that's, that's Yeah, something. that's pretty intense. You know. Um mm. would be that if if time becomes the biggest uh constraint in that less time in the gyms and all the rest of it, that we just have like one all in open nationals. As opposed yeah, to look- multiple small state shows, you know, like because that would be cool. That would be cool. That would be cool, yeah. Um Look, it kind of comes down to financial feasibility, I, I think. You know, it's still a business, bodybuilding and promoting shows. You don't promote shows to lose money. Uh, right. Even if you love it, you just you don't do that. That's bad business. So, if look, I think if the state show numbers were so low, like if there were 10 or 12 registrations in each state or something like that, maybe Tony would consider that option. But right. if they're financially feasible to run state shows as well as a national show, that, that would be the best case scenario for everyone. Uh, I did I did speak to Tony about being proactive about maybe pushing it back to even November just to give people extra time in the gyms and everything else. But the problem with that is that most of these venues are booked most, most weekends. You have to get in early and book your shows at least six, nine, 12 months in advance. And if you haven't done that, you're in trouble. And when these venues do open up, everyone's going to, want to access them finally, you know, like a lot of things have been put on hold and the things that have been wiped off uh, in June, July or whatever, uh, everyone's going to probably want to postpone those events till November or December or whatever it may be. So it's going to be very, very hard to just postpone or just push something back a month or two um, because of venue availability. Yeah. I don't think they've chosen the Queensland one yet. I think they have. I think they have. Just not a date. I think it's the Sleeman Center. Is it the Sleeman Center? That's that's where they've said they've got nationals, but I think the ah. currently is still sitting as the TBA. Ah, okay. So, no, I could be wrong, yeah. That's good. Nationals in Queensland. I'd have to go far. It's good. Although I do, do enjoy a trip, you know. I just get Dean to FaceTime me. It's true. Because I, I, I don't love bodybuilding as much as you and Dean, and I've been to my fair share of bodybuilding shows in my time. So I was like, Dean, just FaceTime me when the highlights are on, like when this person's doing their routine or whatever. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so I don't it's care a long where it day. Is. <laughs> it's a long yeah, day. It really is a long day. 
Yeah. But, um, mate, thanks for uh, coming on today. Very much. Pleasure. But we aren't yeah, finished thanks. with you yet. Okay. We, uh, I don't know if you've taken note of our, our motto of this show. Or is it the motto? We call it the motto? The tagline. The tagline. It's how to be less shit. <laughs> so we, we always ask our guests how to be less shit in regards to the topic at hand. So for yours, it would be how, how can people be less shit as a client, maybe, and maybe how to be less shit as a coach. Look, as a coach, don't accept that you know everything. Because if you think you know how to get someone in shape, uh, it's over for you. Like you, you're not going to learn anymore. Um, you, you have to accept that there's always room for improvement in in your skill set and, and your ability to communicate what you want the client to do. And I think communication is is massive. And when I came to your seminar, Dean, uh, down in Melbourne with Will, I remember thinking to myself, I knew most of that. Like I knew, you know, 95% of what Dean was talking about, but geez, he articulated some points in a really clever way. And I can't wait. I'm, I'm trying to remember exactly how you did it so I can communicate it to my clients because it's the communication of those points, which is going to get you the buy-in and the adherence. Um, so that's, that's the main thing. Keep learning and keep learning how to convey the, the information and lessons you learn as a coach and as a client, how to be less shit. Oh, Jesus. So many ways. Um, if you have doubts or concerns, ask your coach about it would probably be the first thing because if you have doubts and concerns and your coach can alleviate those doubts and concerns, there you go empowered to move on and move forward. Um, if the coach cannot alleviate your doubts and concerns, uh, <laughs> then come hire me or Dean. No, I, I don't know. Um, it, it's, uh, you know, that you, that's what your coach is there for. Uh, so communicate with your coach. I, I think that's really important because the clients that I have the greatest success with are quite often a bit more of the ball breakers, the, the, the ones that communicate with me very, very frequently. Um, because you never lose track of anything. Sometimes their uh, concerns or thoughts will reveal something that someone who's too staunch to tell you they're suffering uh, won't give away. And, and therefore you, you miss some of the cues to make particular changes. So communicate with your coach would probably be the best thing. Yeah. Oh. I love that one. As um, leaders of our coaching team, sometimes we get feedback from particular clients saying, Hey, I wish that coach X did this or that and and we would say to the client we kind of act as a middleman between some of the coaches and and their clients sometimes and we would say to the client hey have you actually had this conversation with your client it, it might be sorry with your coach it might be something like i wish that they had more communication with me or i wish that they would change my nutrition plan more frequently or something like that which is not a problem mm -hmm. but if the coach doesn't know that's what the client wants how are they going to do that so we'll say oh that's totally no problem. Have you told X coach that you want that? They're like, no. So like, okay, maybe start there. And then, then with a bit more communication, things just, we don't, we don't have crystal balls as coaches to know what you want unless you tell us. Mm. It's not always going to be a yes, but sometimes it can be. Yeah. Don't come to me two months later and say, oh, I thought that 250 grams of rice was a raw weight. I wonder why I was so full. Oh, mate. It's <laughs> happened so many times. My client, Gerard, <laughs> he fucking pulled like 27 kilos off, I think, in like 24 weeks or something we did, right? So like crazy fucking weight loss. It's amazing, yeah. Amazing. But at the beginning of it, his high day, I gave him pancakes out of the, the shake and bake. Yeah. And it took about eight weeks once I'd already cut them as well, so he cut his low days out, to eventually figure that I meant 
that he was only meant to be having them as mixed weight because it's just easy to do them as mixed weight. Yes, said, yes. Dude, I was doing the raw. So at one stage <laughs> he said he was, it was, it was two fucking containers. Of pancakes. Of pancakes in this diet that I wrote. Because I said 700 grams and he's like, fuck, these are 350 each, right? Wow. <laughs> he'd shake one and cook it. He'd shake the other and <laughs> drink it. Wow. And That's I'm like, commitment. That's not a way to do pancakes. That's and then I was like, the good news is you're 150 grams or what is it? What, 175 grams of carbs over each time you've had a high day. You still yeah. lost a kilo and a half each week. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah, hilarious. He was drinking raw pancake mix. Gerard, there's something wrong with you, mate. Or is there? Hardcore. I respect that. <laughs> that was yeah. the dude that just was like, yes, sir, man. No worries. I'll do what yeah. it takes. It is yeah. what it is. Oh. This, I love those people. Yeah. There could be worse oh, for sure. Yeah. So uh, our next question, our next wrap-up question is, do you have something worth sharing with the audience? Um, if you're stuck for ideas, a book, a movie, whatever, a course. Oh, right, in that regard. Oh, that's, uh, that's a tricky one. A resource um, sharing? Maybe perhaps a YouTube channel, Scotty. Yeah. Well, I, I would obviously recommend Midlife Man. Thank you. Thank you, Dean. Uh, I think for anyone that's looking to get into the fitness industry, if you're probably looking to get into the fitness industry, I don't know that this is the, the podcast for you because you guys are probably talking some pretty high-end stuff. But hopefully if someone stumbles across this, then yeah, by all means, get onto Midlife Man. It'll hopefully be entertaining and informative. Um, outside of that, look, I don't know. I, I don't really have mentors that I follow. I, I like to think that you can learn a lot from almost anyone, um, not everyone, <laughs> sadly. <laughs> uh, but um, you, you might find someone that you don't suspect will be uh, providing with a great deal of knowledge that comes up with a little gem every now and then. So now nah, look far and wide would be my advice. Um, yeah, learn from as many people as you can. And uh, if you've got a bullsh good bullshit filter, you'll uh, be able to siphon out all the rubbish and hopefully stick with the good stuff. That is true. Love it. Very good. Oh, Fast round no, every, yeah, this next question, Dean and I were thinking about changing it last night because the last like four guests in a row have had the same answer, but we'll give it a go. Yeah. It's your last 24 hours on earth. Um, you're perfectly healthy and the world will continue after you're gone. But how do you spend your last 24 hours? Uh, I would probably uh, very boring. I would spend it with my two daughters and my wife, obviously. Um, but I, I would probably set aside some time to do some little video recordings like this, to speak back from my, from the grave to, <laughs> to my daughters as they get older and maybe one threatening one for any like, um, boyfriend that potentially comes around that I could haunt them or something like that if they do anything <laughs> to my daughter. So yeah, I, I think that's what, that's what I do. I, I, because my daughters are very young, they wouldn't understand dad's philosophy on life and things like that. So I'd probably record a fair bit of that stuff that my daughters could access later on in life. How selfless. That's beautiful. I like the, the threatening message there. <laughs> it's good. <Yeah. laughs> All right. Well, in case you don't get around to recording a message, what would your threatening message be? <laughs> Um, uh, I would just let them know that even though dad's not there, the mum comes from a larger Syrian family and, uh, that they have a wide network and they see everything and know everything. So behave yourself. Listen up boys. <laughs> That's funny. That's too good. Something we're sharing? Uh, no, we already did what something we're sharing. Oh, I mean, I mean, shitty choices. Yes. All right. So card game, shitty choices. It's a, would you rather game? We're picking at random. Um, but if we come up with a shit card, we will throw that card away and choose again at random. <laughs> it goes like this. It's got to be a good one, you know? Would you rather publicly announce every no, time... No, we've already done that one. 
I don't know how we keep getting the same ones. You know, we should have a pile of cards. We should have a, a, yeah, a dead card. Would you rather snitch on your best friend for a crime they committed or go to jail for a crime they committed? Ooh. Well, it depends on uh, the jail term, I guess, and the crime. Um, well, let's, we set, can let's set this scenario up. The crime was that they robbed an institution that was really rich um, and kind of taking, let's say like a bank, they, they robbed a bank. Well, the church. Let's go with the church. Oh, but know? people, listeners might be religious and then that will come know. into some moral conflict. Let's go with a bank. No one minds that a bank gets robbed, right? Um, and the jail term is 15 years. Do you know where the money is? Do you know where the money is? Yeah, your friend has it. Hmm. So would you rather snitch on your best friend for the crime of robbing a bank or go to jail for 15 years for the crime that they committed? Ain't no way I'm going to jail for 15 years. There's just no chance. Oh, I'm sorry. If it, if it comes to it, you're, you're gone, buddy. I'm snitching for sure. If, if, yeah, if it's 15 years of jail time, nah, I'm, I'm not eating that. Shouldn't have robbed a bank, mate. Sorry. <laughs> What's the max jail time you would do for your bestie? Um, I'd do a year. I can oh, handle a year. I'm not being no your friend. That. That's not much time at all. No way. I don't know. You're, you're kind of pretty, Scotty. I don't think you'd have a good time in prison. <laughs> hey, that's why I'm, I'm, I'm learning BJJ. Give me a few more months. 69 right. BJJ. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, if people wanted to uh, engage in your coaching services or find more of your content, where would they find you? Uh, just go to my Instagram these days. That has links to everything. I, I've shut down my website. I just, <laughs> it was too much upkeep. Yeah, I, I gave up on it. I was 95% of my inquiries were coming through Instagram. Uh, it, yeah. yeah, so just just go there, Scott Goble Bodybuilder, uh, which should probably be changed to Scott Goble Coach. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, hit me up there. Cool, perfect. Mm. Sounds great. Well, thanks so much. It's been a great chat. Yes, indeed it has. In my pleasure. Thank you. Until next time. Cheers, everyone.